The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. And now we're going to turn to the book of Luke. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're doing a a series on the songs in Luke's gospel account about Jesus when he's born. So uh, there are four songs, and so... Uh, four sermons, four weeks leading up to Christmas. Actually, River of Grace, we're doing this together, and so on Christmas Eve for their service, it'll just be a continuation of our series as well. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read our passage for tonight, and then I'm going to ask for God's help, and then we will look at it together. Does that sound good? So this is Zachariah. We've seen him earlier in the story. He's an old guy. He got... uh, punished for not believing in God. And so this is, these are his first words after being told that he wouldn't talk for nine months. So, chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, so that's John the Baptist's father, so, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our forefathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our our father Abraham to grant to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, so he's talking to John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sun shall rise, shall, the sun rise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to give to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew up and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Father, we thank you for this song, and we ask that you would help us to understand what you are telling us about Jesus. Father, we ask that you would help us to understand your goodness and to enjoy the freedom of your salvation that you give us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've been doing this sermon series on these different songs, and last week we were talking about how there's these four songs, and they each kind of have their own uh, theme, kind of like how today you have musicians, and they all kind of have their theme of what they're singing about or what you get they get known for, so like... Uh, one of my, my favorite ones, uh, Taylor Swift has like three albums, all breakup songs. I mean, she has more than that, but I mean, they're all just like basically like breakup songs. And then, um, you know, some musicians get known for things. And, um, this week, uh, I think we're kind of looking at like the Mumford and Sons song of the pack. Um, I don't know if you know Mumford and Sons, but they are, um, if you don't, I mean, we really need to work on our friendship because <laughs> I need to do a better job of being your friend. But um, Mumford and Sons, they're you know a great uh, band, and kind of one of the things they're known for is just a bit of like kind of like that angsty doubt and kind of um, you know meaningful desire for life. And 
So one of the things that they wrestle with in one of their most recent albums is belief. Like, can I even believe in God? They come from a faith background. That doesn't really come up in their music. But they're like, can I even believe in God? Who is he? What was he all about? So one of their their latest lyrics, I don't even know if I believe everything you're trying to say to me. So there's like, God, I don't even know if I believe in you. And so Zachariah, um, if he were alive today, he'd be very old. But he might fit with Mumford and Sons doubting God, doubting who he is, what's he about, because Zechariah's story, at the beginning of, the, of, the, of Luke chapter 1, and he goes in to worship God in their temple, an angel from God's presence shows up, and he says, Zechariah, though you're super old, you're going to have a baby boy. <laughs> and he's like, what's up with that? How do I even know it's going to happen? And an angel's like, hello. I'm like, I just came from God's presence and told you. <laughs> like, if you're going to doubt me, you're not going to talk for nine months. And so what we're engaging tonight is this song that Zachariah sings after being silent for nine months. Silent, and then he praises God after nine months. And so, kind of leading up to this, John the Baptist, his little baby that was promised that God said, you're going to have a baby, and he doubted whether God was going to give him this baby. The baby's born. John the, and so they ask what his name is going to be, and his first act of faith is to say, I believe what God has told me. His name is John, and now he's able to sing. And so this is the song that he's singing in response to his doubt. God has been patient with Zechariah's doubt, and we ourselves, much like Zechariah, doubt, doubt God a lot, doubt God pretty frequently, doubt often. And yet God is patient with Zechariah in the story, and he's patient with us, um, and he still continues to use Zechariah in his doubt. And what we find God doing mercifully to Zechariah and for us in this story is, uh, is we find that we can fearlessly serve God who mercifully saves us. We can fearlessly serve God who mercifully saves us because, because God's been merciful to us because even though we're doubters, maybe you can sing the, that song with Mumford and Sons, God, I don't even know who you are. Uh, maybe you can be like Zachariah, God, I don't even know if I can believe in you. Um, God is merciful with our doubt. And so, because he's merciful with our doubt and merciful with our silliness and stupidity and sin... We can fearlessly serve him because he mercifully saves us. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We're going to be breaking this into four parts. We're just going to pick up in verse 67. And we're going to be asking, how can we be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Is Zachariah singing all about God's mercy and saving us? How are we saved? So we're just going to pick up here in verse 67 through 71. And see first that we are saved by God's merciful protection. Because when when Zechariah first begins to sing, he's he's singing the song, and I think it can be a bit confusing if you're like not familiar with the Bible to read this passage, and you're like, what are all these images? A horn of what? A horn of salvation? Who are all these people that he's talking about? What's going on? And what is interesting is that. When Zechariah is able to sing about God's goodness to him, the first thing that he goes to is he starts singing about the uh, King David. He starts th- singing about a king way back in the Old Testament, like hundreds of years before this. And so who is King David? So you see there in verse 69, he raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So who is this David 
that he's talking about. So King David, um, in the history of Israel, in the Old Testament, um, basically what happens is Israel, they're like, hey, we want to be like the other nations. They've all got kings. We want, we want a king. Like they've, uh, they've got um, great kings, so we want a Tom Brady of our own. You know, so let's get our own king. And um, so God's like, well, I'm your king. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's not good enough. We want a real king. And so he gives him a king. First king doesn't work out so well. And then God says, okay, I'm going to do it my way. And what he does, he picks out like uh, this emo kid, shepherd boy from the fields. And he's like, you're going to be the king now. You're my, do- you're my guy. And he makes King David king. And it's great. Works out. Uh, David's a bit of a broken guy. He's got a lot of problems. But... After he brings peace to Israel, so he goes around, vanquishes all their enemies, kills all the dragons, saves all the ladies. He's a good guy. And then he's get all comfortable. And he says, you know what? I'm comfortable. I live in a stone house. And here's God. Poor old God. He's got this temple or this tabernacle. So it was a tent outside the city. That's where they all worshiped God. God's got this tent on the outside of the city. I live in a stone house. I need to build God a house. Um... And so the priests are like, hey, upgrade for us. Sounds great. And um, at, the, at night, there's a vision that God gives to one of, the, uh, one of the priests. And he comes to David and says, you know, no, that's not the way it's going to work. You're not going to do anything for me. Actually, you know, in fact, I'm going to make you a house. You think you've got a house? I'm going to make a better house. And not only am I going to make you a better house, but I'm going to make you a kingdom and a king that's eternal. It's going to last forever. Uh, and so that is what, when Zechariah sees that God is working, bringing his salvation um, to come to fruition, to, to come out, uh, he starts thinking about a king and a kingdom, a new king and a new kingdom, right? So he's saying uh, he has raised up a horn of salvation. The strength of his salvation for us is from the house of his servant David, because when God acted to give David a new king and a kingdom, it was all based on God's power. God's the one who did it. God didn't ask David. God, did, God even said, you know what, David, all your little fledgling efforts, thanks, but no thanks. I can do this on my own. I got it. This is my thing I'm doing. So when he promises to bring a new kingdom and a new king, God does it his way. And what does he do? So let's check out verse 71 here. What, why is he bringing this horn of salvation? That we should be saved from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us, right? Because the reality is you, you need a king and a kingdom because there are dragons and there are things and people that want to take you down. There are enemies that we have. So not only are they thinking about it there, but they are thinking about it in a broader sense of the things that oppress us and keep us and hold us. And so God promises a king that will take care of our enemies because Zechariah is thinking things are not the way they should be and God is making them the way they should be. Things are not right. God is making them the way they should be. And this is, you know, it's funny. We live in America and the entire idea of America is based off things are not the way they should be and we want a better life, right? I mean, unless you're a Native American... Everybody in here is from a family of immigrants, or you're from another country going to school here. <laughs> but it's um, everybody who is an American. So, like when I was growing up, I remember we would always do like, "What country are you from?" I'm I'm like ninety percent Irish. 
or uh, like my family's Norwegian, you know, we're always like, we're from Norwegia, you know, Norway, we're from Norway. And, uh, uh, you know, friends who are like, God, we're Italian, we're all from, we're all mob bosses, we're all, you know, Irish, so we've all got our potatoes and hanging out in the backyard or whatever, but it's, uh, everybody is from somewhere because they want something better. They want a better place. They want a better, better rule of government. They want something that's different because maybe they're in a situation where um, most situations of people who are moving to America, they were oppressed, they were poor, they were needy, they had nothing. And what Zachariah is pointing to is a similar situation, right? We, we are all in this situation where we are just powerless to help ourselves, powerless to protect ourselves. We are... Uh, constantly oppressed um, by our own sin and just the the junk of the life around us, right? (laughs) We need protection because we're powerless. Just so you know, that's the rice in the back, right? Or that's something... (laughs) It's the food that you will soon be eating. (laughs) The world, right? We are powerless to fix ourselves, because when, when Zechariah is thinking, okay, God, I've, we need salvation and we are just absolutely weak and stupid people, you know, he is thinking in the, not only just kind of like, look, I've got a neighbor who's not nice to me. There's a sense of like, look, my body is failing me. My, my own, I can't, I know the Bible through and through. So this is Zechariah who's a priest and I don't even know how to believe in you rightly, God. I am, I am oppressed by my own brokenness and fallenness. I can't protect myself. I can't follow you the way I want to. You know, we see this all around us. The world is crushing us to death. How many of us have been to the hospital this year to visit either friends or family or been there ourselves? Our bodies are falling apart. You know, we have addictions all around us, whether that's addiction to shopping or that's addiction to drugs or pornography or whatever it is. We love, we are, we are oppressed by the world around us. We are so weak. I mean, I feel this, I mean, just today, here I am this afternoon coming here, and I just, I, I'm like, God, I, I, I'm powerless to fix myself. Like, I can't. There's these persistent struggles. God, I can't fix myself. I don't know how to do this. We are powerless. And yet God here in the Christmas story is saying that he is saving us by his merciful protection because he knows that we're powerless. He knows that we don't, our king and kingdom of this world will always fail us. Whatever we're putting our trust in, whatever we're hoping in, whatever we want to do, it is always, we, we just don't, we can't follow through, we can't fix ourselves. I mean, I, just, just imagine, I don't know, if, does anybody here go to the gym, we work out? A few. At the gym, I find it interesting. I, I swim, and I saw so in, in January, it's always in January, I can see the swimmers, the numbers pick up. There's like, first week of January, everybody, you can tell, New Year's resolutions have been made. There are like, you know, like 20 swimmers. And I'm always just kind of like, all right, guys. Two weeks in, back down to the three of us, me and like the 90-year-old and the 80-year-old in the lane next to me. We're always just, but we are just weak to fix ourselves. And, that, and that's just the, the swimming thing. It's not to say, oh, I'm so great at swimming. It's just to say like, look, I, if you want to know how my weakness is, <laughs> let's just sit down and talk. 
Michelle and I have been trying to do family worship or pray together for years, and I just can't get it together and do it. I, I can't fix myself. We are, we are held down by our weakness and our frailty and our sin. But God comes in at Christmas, the, the birth of Christ is all about God's merciful protection because he knows, look, if you're trusting yourself, you're sunk. You ain't got nothing for you and you are always going to be broken. But here he comes in to defeat our enemies. He says, verse 71, we shall be saved from our enemies. We are powerless, but God in his power comes to mercifully protect us from our enemies. They would hold us in bondage to sin. They would hold us in bondage to our weakness. Do you, do you feel your powerlessness? Do you feel how you're just powerless to change? <laughs> like, I think the hope of Christmas is that God comes in to mercifully protect us. And the best thing that that offers is he protects you from yourself. <laughs> he protects me from myself. We need God's merciful protection. And so not only does Zechariah, when he comes, when he starts thinking about all this stuff and starts singing to God about this new thing that God is doing, he says, God, you mercifully protect us. You save us by mercifully protecting us. But then he turns and he says, God, you save, you're saving us by your merciful provision. So when, when Zechariah, because I don't know if you've ever... Um, sat down and had a long conversation with somebody who has a long, long, long memory. But they usually, when you sit down and talk to them, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, they'll tell you about their grandfather. And then they'll tell you about their grandfather's grandfather, right? So they'll start telling you, like, oh, we'll go further back. So when Zachariah is singing the song, he talks about David, and then he goes further back. He's like, King David, we need a king. But you know what? There was a promise that God made before that. He made it to Abraham. So he starts talking about Abraham. That's where, so that's where he goes next. In the story, so he says there in verse 73, the oath that you swore to our father Abraham, right? So you're so, showing us your mercy. Remember your holy covenant, the oath that you swore to our father Abraham. So Abraham, um, he's kind of like one of the main figures of the Old Testament back in Genesis. And um, his story is kind of interesting because um, Abraham uh, was from Ur of Chaldean. I had to look this up to make sure that I got this right. The, um, Ur of the Chaldeans, which actually existed for up until uh, 300 BC. But Ur of Chaldeans, one of the things that they're known for is that they were moon worshipers. They're, they're what they, they love to worship the moon. They look, they look to the moon and they're like, this is our source of life and protection and our provision. This is, the moon provides for us everything that we need and so God chose Abraham, who was one of these moon worshipers, and he said, you know what, I'm going to start a new nation. I'm going to make a promise to you that I'm going to provide a nation and security and peace for you. So, that's a, so Abraham's story goes on through the rest of Genesis, but the beginning, what, what, what Zechariah is looking to is this promise that God makes with Abraham. You who are this you know, werewolf worshiping the moon... <laughs> Right, you—you who's worshiping the moon? I'm going to make you into a nation of people who worship God, uh, and I'm going to provide everything that you need. So he calls them to provide everything for him. It was this would be like has anybody ever been to Sedona, Sedona, New Mexico, Sedona? It's a beautiful place. I, I've been there once a few years ago, and um, it's a weird place because you're in the middle of the desert, and it's all these like red mountain thingies. Really cool, beautiful stuff. 
I'm not sure I'm not describing it correctly. It's like the desert, right? But it's beautiful. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't kill you. But, um, <laughs> but Sedona is a bit of like, um, it, it's a weird place because, uh, so you've got all this beautiful landscape, and there in the middle of town, you've got all the, like, the UFO conspiracy folks. Like, they've got their shops and signs. And then you've got all, like, the hippie, um, you know, here, come by our medical equipment stuff. <laughs> you know, so it's basically, like, everybody that left Woodstock and the Grateful Dead concert, they just moved to Sedona. And, um, and then, strange, Michelle and I were there, and we got lunch in, like, a Swedish, you know, pastry shop it's like there's all this like weird stuff like all just kind of like put together in the desert of all places you know i'm just like i'm not quite sure what's going on there but it would be like god going to like the tarot card reading place in the downtown area of sedona and saying hey you know bro about to get your palm read you're the one i'm going to provide everything for like just kind of like the last guy on the planet that you would think that god would go after so that's who god is going after which gives us a lot of hope right because we're all a bunch of idiots. <laughs> like, I don't know what you got going on in your life, but we are all just like Abraham. I don't have, we don't have anything going for us. Like, we don't know how to fix ourselves. We don't know how to change anything about ourselves. In fact, we tend to trust in, like, really, in things that are really just going to hurt us or harm us or do nothing for us, right? Like, I mean, it could be kind of like, like the obvious things, like, you know, our, our neighbors who struggle with addictions and drugs, or it could be kind of like the more like kosher things, like trusting in church to save you, or trusting in your family to protect you. Like those things are always going to let you down. I just want you to know, coming here to church, we love Jesus and we make it all about Jesus because I'm going to let you down. Right? I, I'm not your savior. Church coming Saturday, Saturday night for church or Sunday morning or our small groups, it's not going to save you. Jesus is the one who fixes you. That's who we're looking to because everybody looks to something that will not provide to provide for them. Whether it's money or whether it's sex or whether it's uh, your job and getting promotions, everything will let you down. But God comes to us in our waiting room of a tarot card place of our lives and says, I want to provide everything for you. I want to provide for you, not just that you're protected from your enemies, but that you're provided with life and joy and to, to save you from the fears and the darkness and the nightmares of your life. God comes in at Christmas and he saves us by his merciful provision. You see, where Zachariah thought God had forgotten, it turns out that God actually had remembered you know, seven, verse 72, to show the mercy promise so he has sent Jesus to show the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, which is a binding promise. God promised to provide. He doesn't have to. He wants to. He promised to mercifully provide. And that's not just to say like, oh, now just kind of start writing down the sheet all the things you want God to provide. You know, that doesn't mean that you're going to get the job that you want or the spouse that you're looking for or the children that you want or the security or whatever. What it does mean is that you get God. God's provision is he provides himself. Because it's all about God coming, right? God's God showing up. He is showing up on the scene where people did not expect to find him. 
because he wants to deliver us from our fears to protect us, be our true king, but he wants to provide for us, be our true merciful provision. So God gives us himself and the provision that begins is he overcomes the, the wreck of sin in our lives, right? All the things that we've done wrong. He provides himself to fix us, to heal us, to cleanse us, to protect us. I don't know if you doubt God because it seems like you're not getting something that you want. But if you have God who is mercy, what do you need to trust him for? Even if it's a long wait. What is it that's going on in your life right now that you need to trust God for? Because you're going to get God. And then if you get God, Whatever he else, whatever else he provides for you, it's just like on, it's just like the cherry on top, right? So Zechariah's singing about God's merciful protection, looking to David, got a new king and a kingdom, looking to Abraham, God's merciful provision. God, you are providing everything for us by giving us yourself, and now he turns. So kind of, kind of like remembers, like he's looking back, back, back. He remembers, oh, I need to focus on the thing right in front of me. So he turns back, verse 76, to his son, his new baby boy that's just been born. So then, what about, what is God's salvation? What is he turning to next? God saves us by his merciful pardon. So let's just read verse 76 and 77. And you, child, so this is John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. So John the Baptist, um, he's going to be this weird dude who wears camel hair. He's basically kind of like... uh, like your original like hippie hipster, you know, like he's going to wear like the, the hair, the animal hair because it's all organic and free range. And then he's going to eat the, the bugs because they're open source and, um, you know, free for the taking. But he's, um, and I say that being one of those people, guys, so like I'm, I'm poking fun at my own kin here. So, um, but he, so he's a weird guy that's going to be going in front of Jesus saying, look, God's coming and his salvation is coming near. And his message that he's going to, what's the core of the message of what John the Baptist is going to be saying is the forgiveness of sins, right? He's pointing to the forgiveness of sins at the heart of what he's talking about. This is what Jesus is showing up for. Jesus is showing up not as a political revolutionary, not as a social justice warrior, Jesus shows up as a savior from the guilt of sin. At the heart of the gospel is our guilt of having offended God, of having stuck a cold, clenched fist in his face and said, I can do this life without you. I can do it better than you. And that is the guilt that God comes to save us from. See, there's a, there's a lot of ways to take the, the life of Jesus and distort good things about them into ultimate things. So Jesus comes and says, love the poor. We love the poor. Like we, we give money away. <laughs> we love to do that, but that's not why we're Christians. We're Christians because Jesus comes to save us from our sin and punishment. And out of the, the mercy that he's shown us, we love to show mercy to our neighbors. 
We love to fight for justice, right? Justice of all kinds for, for ethnic diversity and ethnic justice. But that's not what the gospel primarily comes for. The, the gospel has that effect because the gospel brings people who are a bunch of ragtag, um, you know, island of misfit toys and brings them all together. People who look different, who sound different, who are different, but brings them together. But that's not, what, that's not the main thing the gospel's about. The, the gospel also tells us to give our money away. Uh, it tells us to learn. So I don't know if you guys know this, but like whenever missionary efforts have gone around the world, one of, one of the main things that Christian missions around the world has done is to raise the bar of education globally. Wherever missionaries go, there has always been education that follows, right? But we're not called just to like, the gospel does not exist so that we can make schools. Schools exist so that people can learn to know God and to trust him. Same thing for doctrine, right? We love God. We love good teaching. Um, I don't know what you think about my teaching, but <laughs> we love good teaching in general. Um, but we're, we don't exist to, to make our doctrinal formulations perfect so that we get them all right and tight. Doctrine, doctrine helps us to see God clearly and love him. And we see God clearly in the gospel. That is why Jesus came for the forgiveness of sins, Tim Keller has this great quote, what is the gospel? The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Because here, God is saying, you are more broken than you know. You are more flawed and imperfect, but you are more loved than you could imagine. I will send my son. Here's how much I love you. I will send my son. I will leave, he will leave the fellowship and joy of God. And he will come and live a life where he deals with your guilt specifically. He deals with your guilt. He deals with the forgiveness of sins that you most desperately need. Your flaws before God. He comes and he says, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Will you trust in Jesus. That is the point of the gospel to find our rest in him because we are more broken and flawed. When you talk about our provision and protection, we have nothing and we are weak and we are weary and we can never change ourselves because we are the problem with ourselves. And yet God comes and says, I love you. I'll take you in. You don't have anybody else to go to. You don't have any Christmas table to sit at. How about mine? God comes to us, people who just like Abraham, worship little idols of our own making, so that in Christ we have nothing to be afraid of. We have nothing to fear because the worst thing that could have been said about us has been said in Jesus. So that just for example, Romans ten eleven. anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. They will never be put to shame. When you trust in Christ, all the shameful things of our lives, all the things in the dark closets of your heart that you don't want anybody else to know about, all the skeletons from your past that you'd really rather not talk about, there will never be any more shame for those things when you look to Jesus and find forgiveness of sins. 
because when God says, I don't think about that stuff anymore, <laughs> who cares if your family brings it up? Who cares if your friends remember? God himself says, never again will I think about it. No, there is no shame. There is no shame when we look to Christ and receive God's merciful pardon. Because when God says, it's done, it's finished, which is what Christ does say on the cross, finished, there's only fearless joy in Jesus. Which is then what we're going to be looking at. So we're not just saved for this kind of like uh, floaty in the water of God's love. We are saved to walk with God. Which is, where, which is where we go next. So we just pick up in verse 78. So we're going to finish with this. Saved into his merciful peace. So we've been looking at God's merciful salvation. And I just want to pick up on verse 74 and then drop down to 78. So why does God send Jesus? That we, might, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, hand of your enemies, yourself, Satan, sin, and death, everything that would oppress you, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. And then verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God, the, the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sun shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then here's the, the point, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Why are we saved? Why does Jesus show up? And like a sunrise, you know, sun comes up over the sun, over the horizon. Jesus shows up like the sun over the horizon. Sorry, this word just dropped right out of my head. Sun out of like a sunrise over the horizon, and line, and the sun cracks over the sky to give light so that we see who we are, that we know who God is, that we enjoy who he is, that we no longer have any guilt for the shame that we've done and shameful things we've done in darkness. We now can enjoy God's presence and see his face in Jesus. Why are we saved? So that we can have feet that walk in the way of peace and serve God without fear. So we've, we are called to fearlessly serve God because now, now that we've been freed from the shameful things of our lives, now that we've been freed from the darkness of our, of our lives, we can now walk with God and serve him and enjoy his presence with us and walk with him. So what, what does fearless service look like? Well, I think maybe for Zachariah and maybe for you if you doubt God, it means that God is patient with people who doubt him. To fearlessly serve a God who loves doubters, who doubt God, who look at his provision in their lives and say, just don't know yet. But God doesn't leave you there. To fearlessly serve him means that you trust him. He doesn't leave Zechariah there. Zechariah comes around. He trusts in God. He sees God's goodness. He reveals himself so that you can trust him and know him and serve him. That you were, that's what you were made for. If you need help working through your doubts, look, I'd love to talk to you about them. What, were you doubting about God? I don't understand how God can allow suffering. 
That's okay. We can talk about that. God has patience for people who are doubters like you and me. And we'll work through that together. But then I find it interesting that he ends here, verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What the people that would have rejected God, God pursued to make peace with them. And now that we've been saved by Jesus, we're now called to reflect God and be peacemakers, to make peace with those around us, which maybe is super relevant for you with Christmas. And you're going to be around family that you don't like. You're going to have friends around you that you don't want to be around. And uh, things are just going, like they're going to bring up all the junk. They're going to bring up all the things. Here Jesus says, God says, look, in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of them bringing it up right? But maybe you're called, maybe God wants to give you the grace to fearlessly be a peacemaker, apologize, work for peace, find grace with them. How do you need to, how do you need grace to help and help to obey God, to follow his example and to make peace with friends and family, to be a peacemaker like God? Because Christmas is all about God making peace with us. See, we can fearlessly serve God because he mercifully saves us. And that's, that's what we're seeing in Jesus in this song, this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for saving us, for making peace with us, for mercifully loving us. We ask you would help us. Would you help us to fearlessly serve you because we've been mercifully saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.